Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And for this week, I wanted to create an episode covering the key changes that occurred in the construction industry in 2022, now that we are officially into 2023. So um, the key changes that occurred during 2022 and the new legislation that has come up and the changes that have occurred were mainly with the building regulations that came into force in June 2022. And then we had the introduction of the Building Safety Act, um, which obviously follows the Grenfell uh, tragedy. And also there have been discussions around the introduction of a future homes and building standard. And this is estimated to come into force in 2025. So let's start by covering what changes occurred to the building regulations and to which approved documents. Uh, Just so you have an idea of what's occurred over 2022 and what has changed, Uh, so that it might help you uh, in your part three studies and it might be a question that comes up in one of your um, exams or your coursework and so on. So the approved documents that have been updated and came into force in June 2022 were parts L, uh, which covers conservation of fuel and power, uh, and part F on ventilation, and two new... um, approved documents were introduced, which is part O on overheating and part S on infrastructure for charging electric vehicles. So the key reasons uh, some of these documents have been updated and new ones were introduced is to assist the industry into achieving the UK's carbon reductions target to net zero by 2050 by cutting carbon for all new homes by 30% and 27% for other buildings, including shops and offices. So the changes will also be used as a stepping stone towards the future homes and building standard that will come into force in 2025, as I've mentioned already. So let's start with approved document F updates. So first looking at the updates for non-domestic buildings. So under the new updates to part F for non-domestic buildings, Uh, The new guidance includes uh, standards on minimising the egress of external pollutants and the proper installation of ventilation systems. And there's also new guidance on performance-based ventilation standards that will allow designers to assess ventilation strategies against uh, individual volatile organic compounds based on data from Public Health England as an alternative route to using a total VOC limit. Uh, So the new updates recommend that all replacement windows in non-domestic buildings are fitted with background trickle ventilators unless it can be shown that replacement windows would not reduce uh, useful ventilation or that a mechanical ventilation system is present. Uh, If outside noise is an issue where the replacement windows will be going, Uh, Attenuating background ventilators are proposed to be fitted to reduce this. 
And new guidance also recommends that mechanically ventilated common spaces in offices have a minimum air supply rate of 0.5 litres per second per square metre, which is below the one uh, litre per second per square metre outlined in the government's proposals. So a new requirement was also introduced in Part F when it comes to transition of infection via aerosols by installing CO2 monitors in offices and specifically in high-risk rooms where there may be risk of airborne infection. This is mainly due to the implications and issues uh, highlighted from COVID-19. So the guidance on recirculating systems was also updated, stating that systems would be capable of operating in a mode that prevents the recirculation of air within spaces or between different spaces, rooms or zones within offices, unless a suitable filtering or cleaning system is in place. Now, uh, moving on to the updates for domestic buildings. So the Part F updates for domestic buildings introduces a new requirement that when energy efficiency work is done in buildings, the ventilation is not to be made any worse in line with existing measures for controlled services and fittings. So a mandated checklist uh, has been proposed and is intended to make it easier for renovators to understand the impact of historic and potential future work to a building and whether the ventilation provision will be sufficient. So ventilation guidelines will include a recommendation that replacement windows are fitted with a background trickle ventilator unless it can be proven that the ventilation was not made uh, any worse. And to support homeowners, Part F now recommends that all installations of mechanical extract ventilation and installations of new background ventilators come with guidance on why ventilation is important for the health of buildings and their occupants. And a commissioning sheet and checklist, uh, including design flow rates and maintenance requirements, will also be provided when ventilation systems are installed. So those are the key changes uh, when it comes to Part F. Now moving on to approved document L. Uh, first looking at the updates made for non-domestic buildings. So under Part L, updates for non-domestic buildings will be required to achieve an average of 25% reduction in carbon emissions in relation to the 2013 standards. So the government's position was that this mandate would achieve a balance between progressing towards the future homes and buildings standard and providing the industry with the time it needs to develop the supply chains and skills that will be necessary to meet the 2050 targets. So another item Part L introduced is a new uh, principal performance metric in measuring energy efficiency. This is known as the primary energy to be used in combination with CO2 metrics to assess compliance with Part L and the primary energy calculations take into account factors such as the efficiency of the building's heating system, power station efficiency for electricity, and energy used to produce fuel and deliver it to the building. So this approach uh, was faced with some criticism from respondents uh, and some users that disagreed with using primary energy as the main performance metric to which the government responded that they will review the approach before implementing it into the full uh, future homes and building standard. Now, under the 
Further updates, the new minimum efficiency standards were introduced for both new and replacement thermal elements, including windows and doors. So for example, the U-value for new walls under the updated part L2 is 0.26 compared to 0.35 that was previously uh, required. And most types of new windows, roof lights and curtain walling will be expected to achieve a U-value of 1.6 versus the 2.2 previously. Now, in terms of building services in new non-domestic buildings, the minimum efficacy of lighting installations has been increased to 95 luminaire lumens per circuit watt for general lighting and 80 luminaire lumens per circuit watt for display lighting. So lower efficacies in some rooms can be offset by higher efficacies in others and a separate standard for lighting that requires a high level of optical control, including innovative high uh, excitation purity lighting, uh, has been introduced. So the updates now also require that new non-domestic buildings require a building automation and control system if they include a heating or air conditioning system of 180 kilowatts or over, rather than the 290 kilowatts originally proposed. So new and replacement heating systems in both domestic and non-domestic buildings have introduced a minimum standard to ensure that wet space heating systems in new buildings are designed to operate with a maximum flow temperature of 55 degrees Celsius. And uh, finally, the new updates stipulate that all space heating and domestic hot water boiler installations in existing non-domestic buildings must now include new controls to improve the effective efficiency of the system and the minimum standards of distribution, comfort cooling uh, systems and lighting will also apply in existing uh, non-domestic buildings. So BACs must also have a maximum flow temperature of 55 degrees Celsius. And uh, lastly, Part L adopts the CIBSE's TM23 uh, as the single approved methodology for testing air tightness for non-domestic buildings to avoid practical difficulties of using multiple testing methodologies. And now moving on to the Part L updates for domestic buildings. So new updates to fabric efficiency standards for new domestic buildings set the new U values for new walls as 0.18 from uh, 0.28 previously and 1.4 or window energy rating band B for windows and roof lights from the 1.6 or window energy rating band C uh, previously set. And U-values for doors have been updated to 1.4 from 1.8, but fire doors are permitted to meet a U-value of 1.8 in line with the previous standards. So the government has adopted a full fabric specification for setting the level of the fabric energy efficiency standards, also known as fees, in new homes under Part L. So extensions to existing properties are now required to adhere to the SAP method of compliance for metrics of fabric energy efficiency and primary energy. So according to the government, this will ensure that direct electric heating systems are not used in unsuitable circumstances, resulting in higher bills for households.
and the final update in part L for domestic buildings is additional updates um, were specified in relation to building services where wet space heating systems in existing domestic buildings must be designed to operate with a maximum flow temperature of 55 uh, degrees Celsius, same as with non-domestic buildings. This was previously uh, 75 degrees uh, Celsius. So that covers the updates to the existing approved documents. Now let's look at the new documents introduced in 2022, starting with approved uh, document O, covering standards for overheating in new residential buildings. So the new approved document O aims to ensure that new residential buildings, including homes, uh, care homes, student accommodation and children's homes, are designed to reduce overheating with the rising temperatures that we have been experiencing due to climate change. So in terms of requirements and suitability, in terms of location, it splits England into areas of moderate risk and high risk of overheating, uh, the latter typically including urban and suburban parts of London. The regulation adopts a simplified route, which is essentially a method of calculating overheating, which estimates compliance based on minimising solar gain and removing excess heat. So it sets uh, standards based on whether the house or residential unit is cross-ventilated, uh, its orientation, and it introduces a standard for the maximum amount of glazing allowed in a single room. So the alternative method in calculating overheating is through the use of dynamic thermal analysis methods of uh, overheating risk in homes, allowing a more sophisticated analysis of buildings as an alternative route to compliance over the simplified method. So guidance within the document includes uh, acceptable strategies for limiting unwanted solar gain in the summer through shading and other means. Internal blinds or tree cover must not factor into a dynamic thermal assessment because these uh, elements can be subsequently removed. So the measures proposed within Part O ensure overheating strategies are safe and usable by occupants taking into account noise and pollution near the home, as well as the safety and usability of the windows uh, and security, which may affect the occupant behaviour. So information on overheating strategies must be passed to the building owner in a form of a home user guide. So that covers uh, approved document O. Uh, then we have the new approved document S, which requires all domestic new builds to have systems in place for the future installation for electric vehicle charging points. And the document also provides for instances for buildings uh, other than dwellings on the process of electrical vehicle charging point provision and the necessary infrastructure to be in place. So that covers the changes and the new documentation uh, under the building regulations. So the initial response and view from the industry on these changes are that the proposed uplifts are not high enough to enable significant reduction in carbon emissions in new buildings. And the proposed uh, measuring methods are confusing and not resolved and clear enough. But hopefully these concerns will be met with the proposed uh, 2025 future homes and building standards 
which has technical consultations lined up in 2023, and it will introduce significant changes to make buildings net zero carbon. So that covers the changes to the building regulations. Now let's briefly look at the new uh, Building Safety Act. So this act was introduced following the Grenfell Tower fire tragedy in 2017, and the recommendations made by Dame Judith Hackett's independent review of the building regulations and fire safety to prevent any such incidents from occurring in the future. So it includes significant changes to building safety legislation, uh, which hasn't happened for over 40 years, and it will make a clearer route of accountability for those who design, construct, and manage high-risk buildings, and how certain structures will be built, maintained, and made safer. So it will impact contractors, developers, and organizations involved in the construction and design of in-scope buildings, defined as high-risk buildings, uh, that are at least 18 metres in height or have at least seven storeys uh, or contains at least two residential units. And this also applies to care homes and hospitals that hit the same height threshold. So the Act will be introducing two new roles, the new building safety regulator, which will be a new body overseen by the health and safety executive, and it will be responsible for enforcing more stringent regulations on safety and performance on high-rise buildings in securing the safety of the people in and around buildings and improving building standards. And the second will be the accountable person or persons for residential high-rise buildings, which can be landlords uh, or freeholders who own or have responsibility for the building. So if the building has more than one accountable person, the one responsible for the structure and exterior of the building will be the principal accountable person. And they will be expected to prevent building safety risks and reducing the seriousness of an incident. Their duties will involve registering an existing building with the building safety regulator, which can be done between April 2023 and October 2023 and they must also register all new buildings before occupation. So the principal accountable person will also be expected to prepare a safety case report for the building, uh, give this report to the building safety regulator and apply for a building assessment certificate when directed by the building safety regulator. So the government will also be able to restrict the ability of irresponsible developers to build new homes and the Act will enable building owners to take legal action against developers, contractors and manufacturers for poor construction and defective products that have caused homes to be inhabitable in the past 30 years. And leaseholders living in buildings of more than 11 metres or at least five storeys will be legally protected from building safety costs. So in terms of the Building Safety Act and the architecture profession, it provides the ARB with further powers to regulate architects' competence by ensuring they have the necessary skills, knowledge, experience and behaviours to perform their services. So the ARB in turn released the competency guidelines for fire and life safety design that were published in March and comprise of 16 core competencies 
expected of architects. So the Act will also include amendments to the Architects Act 1997 to enable the ARB to impose tougher sanctions on those who fail to meet the updated criteria. So the RIBA has also made its own changes, requiring its UK chartered members from 2023 onwards to demonstrate an understanding of seven core areas, including fire safety, design risk management and personal safety in order to renew their RIBA membership. And the Act will also impose further statutory obligations on architects under the new duty holder regime proposed for the life cycle of high risk buildings. So it implements uh, Dame Judith Hackett's recommendation to replicate the existing titles assigned to duty holders under the Construction Design and Management Regulations 2015 to achieve what she described as consistency and clarity across all regulatory requirements to avoid unnecessary confusion. So there will therefore be some changes and new responsibilities for the principal designer role. So the PD role is envisioned to be required to enforce um, a robust ownership of accountability for the responsibility of managing design. So under the Building a Safer Future consultation, uh, writing about the PD um, on a high-risk residential building, the MHCLG stated that the principal designer on a high-risk residential building should be part of the role of the lead designer, who will often be an architect, but should always be the designer with the most appropriate professional background for the project. So this imposes additional requirements on the principal designer, who may be the architect. So the enhanced uh, competency requirements could potentially be seen as a positive declaration of quality and professionalism if architects um, were the ones to be the principal designer uh, when compared against other designers. So the RIBA has endorsed uh, this position and stated that an architect is the best person to fulfill the principal designer role. When the building safety bill comes uh, into law, architects should rise to the challenge of increasing responsibility. But unfortunately, uh, in the post-Grenfell climate, which has seen architects' professional indemnity insurance premiums uh, increase, um, it's not clear whether there is much uptake within the profession for taking on the significant liabilities when it comes to taking on the principal designer role. So it looks like many architects have found that they aren't able to obtain professional indemnity insurance to cover for issues relating to fire safety and are increasingly seeking to exclude this area of design liability from their appointments and just subcontract it to um, an external consultant. So previous uh, consultations have suggested that the principal designer's duties will include obligations to plan, monitor and manage the design at the pre-construction phase and coordinate all matters relating to building safety with designers and the client, making sure it complies with the building regulations. So they must then satisfy themselves that those involved in supporting the principal designer are competent and have appropriate organisational capability and to take reasonable steps to ensure that designers are discharging their statutory duties 
and promoting the statutory objective. So it would seem that for larger, more complex projects, a multidisciplinary team will most likely be required to take on these duties with at least uh, a thorough knowledge of all building regulations, including fire safety requirements. And potentially on smaller projects, it will be a role undertaken by a sole practitioner or a small company. So there are some items yet to be fully determined uh, with the Building Safety Act, and there remain fundamental questions concerning how uh, the principal designer duties and all the additional duties uh, could be performed in practice, and what the actual implications would be for architects in terms of responsibility, knowledge and insurance. We can potentially expect that the standard appointment documents will have to be amended, um, that the design and build procurement route will have some changes imposed uh, from these changes, and PI insurers will need to consider whether they will offer related insurance cover and that those wanting to provide the new PD service will have to train and recruit staff as well as develop their management processes and ongoing training programs to meet the new requirements. So the anticipated introduction of the new PD role is expected later in 2023. So that provides you with an update on the key changes that occurred uh, over 2022. Uh, with the new updates to Part F and Part L and the new documents introduced um, in the building regulations, which was Part O and Part S, and then the new um, changes with the Building Safety Act um, that some have come into force and some will continue to come into force as we uh, move through the next couple of years I, we expect to see a lot more changes in 2023, so I will definitely be briefing you on those as we go along this year. And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.